podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello, I'm Eddie Gibbs and welcome to Off The Wall, the podcast here on Anfield Index, where we like to give you a small flavour of some of the content available over on the paywall side of the channel at Anfield Index Pro. Before I start, this show is brought to you in partnership with LibertyShield.com, the perfect VPN companion for all your entertainment and privacy needs, where you can get 25% off everything using coupon code AIVPN. That's AIVPN. Liberty Shield do offer free VPN apps for iOS, for Android, Amazon Fire Stick, Mac, and Windows. Now, as we know, this uh, unfortunate virus is still uh, reaping havoc across the world and uh, affecting all our lives in such diverse ways. And one of the things, obviously, it's sadly taken away from us is uh, is sport and uh, this Liverpool team and our procession towards the uh, elusive 19th title. So uh, we're sure that's going to happen in due course and we'll just have to wait and wonder uh, when that might be. Now, uh, with no games to watch, we've obviously been uh, sharing some content from the archives at AI Pro. And yesterday, I'll let you listen to part one of Jan Mulby's story alongside Trev Downey on the interview. And today, I'm going to let you have part two. Uh, now, before we get started, I wanted to let you know that you can now get AI Pro where all of this content was originally recorded. And there's so much more over 30 shows per month with some credit with some incredible analysis. And you can get it absolutely free for 30 days instead of the usual seven days. That's something we've just started this week. Now, to sign up, all you have to do is head on over to AnfieldIndexPro.com. There is zero obligation to continue after the 30 day trial and you can cancel at any point. If you decide to stick around, then the cost is only £3.40 per month or amazing value at only 39.99 per year so uh in part one yesterday you heard jan's early years right up until uh, until the uh fa cup final in 1986 now in part two uh trev's going to speak to jan more about the highs and lows of his, his, his liverpool time in the mid to late 80s there was rumors of that transfer to barcelona what was the true story behind that? Jan gives uh, some, some fascinating insight there. The post-Kenny Dalglish years are under Graham Sooners and Roy Evans and the remarkable Danish national team that Jan played in before he goes on to talk about his departure from uh, from Anfield and going on to manage uh, managing the lower leagues as well as uh, his TV career that's uh, now, now well-established in Denmark. We'd love to hear your feedback on this and any other shows from AI Pro. And the best way to do so is to join our free Discord community. It's really worth your while. It's far more insightful and uh, and engaging than what you'll normally find in, in the likes of Twitter and Facebook. The place to do that is anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. That's D-I-S-C-O-R-D. Anfieldindex.com forward slash Discord. Completely free to join. Uh, alternatively, we'd love to hear from you on the traditional platforms, the likes of Facebook. You just have to search Anfield Index. And we're also on Twitter at Anfield Index or Anfield Index Pro. So without further ado, here is Jan Mulby alongside Trev Downey once again for the interview part two. Hello and welcome back to part two of the interview. And this time our subject is Jan Mulby. I'm Trev Downey. I'm your host for today. And we've been having a very, very interesting chat with Jan about the early stages of his career because it's such an incredible career with so many milestones and so many interesting events and people. There's stuff that we've had to skip out on already, but we've only managed to make it up as far as sort of the mid to late eighties. So Jan has been good enough to come back and we're going to do part two of that particular discussion now. Jan, thanks a million for doing this extra bit. This is my pleasure. Excellent. You're a gent. We had finished, I think, we were speaking pretty much about sort of the post-double era where uh, injuries uh, had sort of had a real impact on the amount that you were able to play. You did say that it was a, a privilege to be there at the club at the time. I think for an awful lot of people, that probably their favourite ever Liverpool team was that 87-88 team. Probably sticks a bit in your craw that, you know, your your contribution to that particular side wasn't as much as you'd have liked. But you did come in and out of that side and notably actually as uh, as, as centre half when, when Alan Hansen was injured. How did you enjoy that role? Well as I said, I mean I, I, I enjoy playing centre half. I find it find it easy is not the right word, but it 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 sort of went back the last couple of games in the eighty four, eighty six 
84-85 season, West Ham away in Everton. I played centre-half. And then in 85-86, Kenny, from time to time, wanted to play with a sweeper. Uh, he, he quite enjoyed them. I was always the sweeper, so I was sort of used to it. And then when I came in and played in the flat-back four, that's before I enjoyed it. Uh, and I actually think that I might have got this wrong, but I think the the last game of 87-88, Sheffield Wednesday away, I think we won the game 5-1. And I came on at half-time and, you know, I thought I played really well. Uh, and I thought maybe not get in the, the team for the cup final 87-88 because they'd done so well. But when Spackman and uh, Gillespie collided and they both had stitches in their head and all that, and I thought, you know, I did well at Sheffield Wednesday. Maybe Kenny will introduce me, but he didn't. I was substituted with Craig Johnson. Mm. And, and then when he made the change, he went and put Craig Johnson on before me, and I just couldn't believe that. Uh, and again, I don't want to be big-headed, but what we needed in that game against Wimbledon was more of what I had than what Craig Johnson had. Yeah. Because Craig Johnson is a very energetic footballer. But by this time, Wimbledon were winning 1-0. They'd parked up defending on the 18-yard line. And I thought, what we need is what I have. You know, yeah. I'm much more likely to find Aldrich or Beardsley or Barnes with a pass that splits and opens them up, whereas Craig brings his energy, which was absolutely fantastic. So I'm not saying Kenny got it wrong, but yes, personally, I was disappointed. Yeah, because, yeah. Because I thought, you know, go on, 25 minutes of Wembley, that might just be enough, you know. And he put Craig on, and I think in the end, I got 13 minutes uh, it's, it's never about you, but sometimes in amongst it all, you do think about yourself. And I always think that, could I have done more than Craig? Certainly not in terms of running around, but could I have done more than Craig to try and break down Wimbledon? Yeah, and the, you know what? There's a real possibility. I think there's a real possibility as well. And you certainly weren't on your own in thinking. And, and, and God, even like for a fellow who I had on a pedestal, I did find myself questioning the decision to not have you come on at that stage or not even, uh, obviously it was me because you were here of mine, I'd have had you starting, but it was, it was strange to see, um, the, 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 the idea of, of, okay, we're against Wimbledon, it's blood and thunder. So we bring on the high energy guy, you know, it's kind of, uh, oh, let's go for the more subtle approach and let's try to break this, break this side down. Like you say, it's, uh, it was a weird one. But anyway, um, you know, that's, that's what happens in the lead up to the 1988, uh, cup final. Of course, there was the famous thing that Craig Johnson was responsible for, which is that tune, the Anfield rap. Do you remember that day? And were you boys, having a tipple or two before it, or did you have to go in cold and do all that? Um, um, no. <laughs> it was, it, I mean, at the time, and Liverpool was a very, very lively place. It was a very lively dressing room, and so we were always getting up to all sorts. And then Craig Johnson comes in and goes, we've written a song, it's a rap. Uh, and we all went, yeah, yeah, whatever, yeah. yeah. And then he goes, but I've also got somebody a record label who wants to produce it. So we now got to sing the song and we've gone, yeah, yeah, whatever, just tell us where we've got to be. Because that's how it was in those days. Right. Craig would just go, I've rented the studio in a place called Lark Lane in Liverpool, we'll be there at two o'clock on Tuesday because we're not training on a Wednesday. We can have a few beers and we'll just do this rap. And we've gone, okay, we'll be there. And we were all there. That's just how it was. Yeah. yeah. So we recorded, we recorded the rap. And then a few weeks later he goes, you know, the rap, they won a video. He said, so we play Spurs on Saturday. After the game, we think it'll all go down to this nightclub. The nightclub won't be open. He said, but we're going to film in, in, in the, in the parking house underneath the nightclub. Uh, he said, so turn up in your crazy tracksuits and your chains. And again, he said, we'll have some beers and we'll just do some st stupid dance moves. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it was such well, Yeah, a, that's what it was, wasn't it? It was such, such a... a so, so that's how we caught kind of all, and then you think nothing of it. Yeah. We've done this this song and we've done these, this video and so what? But then the next thing, it gets released. <laughs> and then... <laughs> Yeah, That's just I don't know what happened. Yeah, and no. you you find yourself with a solo line as well, as I recall. I know, and made a great day. <laughs> but everybody just day. went crazy. Everybody went, you know. Yeah. You go really. Yeah. You know, the, the video was played on top of the pops, and you go, this is unreal. You know, it, it just exploded. So as much as we we've been used to our fame for playing football or whatever, we were in many ways D class celebrities. You know, it wasn't as big as it is today. So, but all of a sudden, we were pop stars as well. 
and yeah. pop stars, they are A-class celebrities, you know what I mean? So it took us to a whole new level, you know. And, of course, it didn't do John Barnes any harm, did it? Because the boy can rap. Well, he can, to be fair to him. He's got a, he's got an ability for it. But like you say, there was something just delightful about it. I, I, you know, it, obviously it wasn't, and it was never intended to be. Do you know what helps? Do you know, do you know what helps, Trev? What? Go ahead. When you go to a group of lads, and we're talking amongst the finest players in the world at the time, yeah. and they all go, yeah, okay, and then they put 100% effort into it. Yeah, of you course, know, that, of course. And I think that came across, didn't it? It, did, People it, did, go, it did come across. It would, you know what also came across was that lads were sort of like you would expect for a bunch of footballers, just painfully yeah. awkward doing it. But they were, exactly. given, they were given it socks, you know. And yeah. I, I, that's why I wondered, there must have been a few beers on board because I'm trying to picture myself doing that. I was like, ah, oh, fuck off. I'd have stood in the corner and been quiet, you know. Whereas, the, only thing, the only thing we didn't do in those days without drinking beer was train and play. Everything else involved a few beers. Uh, <laughs> that's just the way it was. Yeah, 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 yeah. Cultural, cultural difference, time difference, I guess. Absolutely. You know, um, and, and people, I think people don't really understand that when they think back and they don't understand, um, how some of these things could have happened. But I don't know. I'm on, maybe I'm a traditionalist, but something about that was so much better to me than the, 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 the kind of pristine, clean as a whistle stuff that you Well, I think there. from a fan's point of view, you felt much more like, the yeah, players yeah, belonged connected. and played. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, these these boys are running around for me. Yes, know? yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And it, it, I don't think you can underestimate the, that um, sort of common connection. Um, you, you can see a fellow down. But why, why otherwise would you support a football club if you don't feel that the guys are doing it for you? Mm. That that has to be the whole essence of it, doesn't it? Do you know what, Jan? I wonder about that. I do wonder about that, man, because I think sometimes. If I was um, 20 years younger, would I be interested in football at all? Because, you know, I, I grew up and I grew up supporting uh, the Liverpool teams of the 70s and 80s. And I mean, that's a different era, different people. They're more accessible. It's real humanity to it. Um, and, and like you say, there's that connection. It's so yeah, but now what, what, what do you have now, Trevor? You have football fans who support football players. That's exactly the difference, isn't it? Yeah, it's exactly no. the difference as opposed to, as how opposed many, to the club. How many, how many Barcelona fans... Will now support PSG. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But they're not Barcelona fans, are they? They're Neymar fans. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, how many people? If Ronaldo went wherever, how many fans would he take with him? Yeah. You know, he's got over a hundred million followers on Instagram. But football fans, not all football fans. Look, he's still the majority who support football clubs. But there is now football fans who support football players. Which is a bananas concept. It really is a bananas. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Strange, strange days. The 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 whole central defence era and playing and uh, th- throughout those late years of the eighties in defence and wherever it was that um, um, uh, opportunity afforded, you were sort of like you say. Um, there was a couple of setbacks. You had a you had a couple of months out in '88 as well, which was a little bit of an unfortunate setback for yourself as well. That kept, kind of kept you out. I don't know were you were you in the team when that happened in October? Yeah, yeah, you were, was, yeah. You were as as yeah, a pretty much a, reg, a regular central defence at that stage, wasn't it? Yeah, I think I played most of the games. The last game was yeah. Southampton away. I think we won three one. I scored. Yeah. So yeah, I was in the, yeah I was in the team at the time, and uh, when I came back in the team again in January, uh, and I, I remember as it was yesterday. 89, uh, took a free kick against Charlton from 35 metres. And as soon as I hit it, you know, when you just rupture your thigh and you go, this is just not a normal thigh injury. You know, this is going to be forever. And it took me four months before I came back from a, from a thigh injury. But I knew straight away, as soon as I hit that free kick, I'm in big trouble here, you know. Yeah, yeah. Which then, of course, meant that I missed the, uh, the running. I missed the Arsenal game. I missed the semi-final against Crystal Palace. Uh, I'm not saying it would have been any different, but of course these are these are sort of big moments. In uh, sorry, I missed the cup final, '89 uh, against Everton, which of course were big moments in in the history of Liverpool football. Big moments, and like you say, the 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 horror of the the Michael Thomas incident and and, and the the last minute and the, the, the people often say to me, if you can play one game again, Jan, what would it be? Yeah, and most of my teammates say the Arsenal game '89. I don't. Because I think over the season, Arsenal got himself enough points to win the league. The one game that I want to replay is the 88 Cup final. Yeah, because I, I generally that. believe that. I generally believe that if we play Wimbledon a hundred times at Wembley in an FA Cup final, we will win yeah. 85 or more. Yeah. And I also think that what annoys me slightly is the stories that follows what Wimbledon did or didn't do. Does anyone really believe 
that we could stand in that tunnel and Wimbledon, John Fashionu, Laurie Sanchez, Vinnie Jones, whatever, that they could intimidate us. That's hilarious. It's ridiculous. If, if we were about to go and see a bar brawl, yes, maybe they could intimidate us. Mm. But we were just about to play a game of football. Yeah. How on earth does anyone think that they could intimidate us when we were just about to play football? I just don't get that. Yeah, you're right. And that, that of course, then becomes the legend and the, the lore built up around it. And, and like you say, you're talking about a club who scared the piss out of Roma by singing at them in the club, in the, in the, in the tunnel a couple of years beforehand. A team who were uh, double winners two years previous, a team who were the best in the land, you know? I didn't, I wouldn't want to arm wrestle John Fashion, yeah? <laughs> yeah, fair enough. I wouldn't. Yeah. I wouldn't. But, but I'd play football against him. Yes. 24 hours a day. Yeah. For the rest of my life and not being worried about it for one minute. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's if there's a wrong you'd like to write, that's it, basically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get that. I get that because do you know what? I don't know. There was something about it. I was I was on my way back from some sort of a uh, youth group trip or a football team trip, and we we missed the Littlewoods Cup final the year before in '87. I think Charlie Nicholas spawned a couple of goals in, and he did. To be fair, he did score two lucky goals, but yeah. We didn't play well either. You know, sometimes when you go, sometimes you also got to be honest, haven't you, and go, did we really play? Yes, I, I, I can see their goals wasn't, but did we really play well enough to win? Probably not. Yeah, and do you know what? That one didn't sting as much, I'd imagine, either for ye or for or for us fans, but for 88 was just something else. It was, I suppose, for an awful lot of people, it was probably their first big experience. Uh, as you say, there was something... Something sort of otherworldly and horrific about '85, the European Cup final that doesn't that takes it out of the loop. So for eighty, for a lot of people, '88 was the first big experience of oh shit, Liverpool have lost a big game. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. It was it was it was quite a shocker. Um, I think for a lot of people. So yeah, I think. But also, of course, it's probably the one final. Which if you go through all Liverpool's finals, yeah, it's probably the one final in the way you pre pre match think. This yes. is done and dusted. I'm not suggesting that's how the players thought. No. But how the world saw that game. Yes, I'll watch it, but surely there can only be one outcome. Yeah, of course, of course, of course. And, and, <laughs> and that didn't, that didn't pan out. And it, but also, isn't that the, isn't that why we follow football? Yeah, yeah. Because things like that can happen. And I suppose the beauty of, of, of following up the next year with the All Merseyside Cup final and, 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 and winning that one. Uh, sort of, uh, you know, with the, in the, in the context of the, 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 the horrible stuff that had happened in the media. Yeah. Of course, that took on a whole different meaning. It did, didn't yeah. It? And we all understood that, uh, you know, and while we're at it, uh, you know, the Hillsborough tragedy, it's always very difficult because sometimes you don't know what people are expecting you to say. Mm. Uh, but there's been so much said, so much written about it. I think that most people are, are, are well worse on, what actually happened uh, and from a player's point of view I always say that what we can add is what we went through uh, which was obviously spending time in the dressing room once the game had, first the game had been uh, stopped uh, and people thought we were going to play again and then eventually it was, it was abandoned uh, and then coming back to Merseyside uh, attending a couple of memorial services on the Sunday before we went to Sheffield on the Monday to, to visit the three hospitals where we visited uh, survivors and we got some horrific stories and then back to Anfield. And in the meantime, while we were in Sheffield on the Monday, the club had decided to open up Anfield so people could come and pay their respects. Uh, and of course, very quickly, we as players became part of that. Uh, we would then meet families who'd lost their son, their daughter, their brother, their father. Uh, which was very difficult. Then came the funerals, and uh, correctly so, the, the club made a promise that there would be players, current or former players at all funerals, so we attended funerals, and then eventually, of course, we, we had to get back to training. And The first thing we had to decide when we got back to training was whether we wanted to complete the season. Kenny said as the manager, he said, listen, go in a dressing room, have a meeting. You decide, whatever decision you make, we, we, we will... We will back 100%, but you decide. Mm. It took us a little while, but we decided that what these people wanted, because that's what we got when we met the families, is that the, they wanted us to complete the season, but more than anything in the world, they would want us to get to the cup final and win the cup final in honour 
of the people who'd never came back from Sheffield. Yeah. And uh, that's what we set out to do. Yeah, and as you say, it, 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 the, to, to have achieved it then, you know, as some sort of a, a tribute or a memorial, it was just so fitting, and um, I don't think there could have been any other result if there was if there's any sort of natural balance in the world at all. But um, it, it must have been incredibly, incredibly um, emotion, I think, emotionally stressful, I think, was it? I think the players on that day, if it had took six hours to win the game. They'd have found the energy to win the game. Yeah, uh, it yeah. was just—I think you know what I mean, isn't it? It was just the one game that we don't lose. Yeah, it wasn't—it wasn't necessarily against a great Everton team, because by that time most of their really, really good players had left. But still, it was a nervy thing. But in the end, and let's not forget that our season was obviously extended a little bit further uh, than than everybody else, and the players were running on empty. You know, the cup final, the last two. League games against West Ham and Arsenal, the players were running on empty. Yeah. But for that one moment, and this is what you come to expect, isn't it, of Liverpool Football Club? Uh, it's the same as Istanbul, isn't it? Uh, you, you just expect a reaction. Uh, it, 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 it comes from, it comes from the stands, doesn't it? It comes from the fans. It comes from the fans' involvement with the club. They expect, yes, they can see that the players are tired and there's nothing more left to give, isn't it? But we still find that little bit extra. And that is exactly what happened in 1989 at Wembley. They found that bit extra. Of course, Rushy got his uh, two goals, which is, is what happens when we go to Wembley. He always scores, isn't it? But it yeah. was just enough. There was just enough left in the tank. Yeah, yeah. To, and, uh, to pick up probably what is the most important. Cup final win in the history of Liverpool football. Do you know what? I think you said a mouthful there in that last sentence, and I don't think it's said enough because of because of the circumstances. I think it is probably the single most important victory ever in the club's history. I, I honestly, genuinely believe that myself. And it didn't it didn't put a closure to anything. No, but, but no, of course it, not. it kind of it kind of just finished off what had happened because what had happened in, had happened in the FA Cup semi final, isn't it? And then. That the next game is the cup final, isn't it? And, and the only thing you can achieve then is to win it. And we managed to do that. So in terms of that, we then couldn't do any more as a team mm. or as a club. Beyond that, the fight that went beyond was mainly fought by other people. And I have massive respect for that. And we all know now that the outcome in the end, which we never thought we were going to get. Uh, but I do feel that in many ways now, on almost all fronts, there's some kind of closure, isn't it? Yeah, it's certainly approaching that. The, fo- the, the football closure was, was was the first one in 1989, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And then as we've gone on, then there's been closures to so many other things. And what happens now in terms of who will or won't be prosecuted or sent to jail, that is for the people to decide. Absolutely. And you, you say that there wasn't much else that the footballers could do, but they actually did. And you guys did so much off the field, like you say, with the things you mentioned, the, the various visits and connections and families and hospitals and all that kind of thing. And, you know, when you think about how, um, I suppose, a mentally um, fragile a lot of, of, of modern footballers appear to be, you guys uh, had to have serious resilience to get through that and do, do your job in the park. And of course, then, you know, there's, there's going to be a mental exhaustion that probably did factor into the, the tail end of the league campaign as well. But can't be any, it can't be any other way, Trevor. It can't be any other uh, way. And I, of, I often say that everything that had to do with Hillsborough and, and, and I'm not trying to compare because the pain of losing people, that's not what I'm talking about. But, but, but everything that happened, we were, we were part of everything. Yes, yeah. You know, we were there on the day. We were part of everything that then went on after. Uh, and then we were part of having to get back to playing. And let's not forget all these emotional games. You know, the first friendly over Celtic and the first league game against Everton, uh, the, 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 the semi-finals against Forest, the final. We, we, were, we were there all the time. And mentally, more than physically, because physically, we, we, we are designed and trained to play football and we're... we're we're trained to de- be able to deal with the physical side of the game. Yeah. But the, the other bit is, is the one that totally emptied you, you know, you know, from being the best place in the world, the liveliest place in the world, we were a little bit flat, you know, mm. players were tired, you know, p- players were shattered, mm. but you know, we, we, we did as much as we could. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, uh, again, almost, almost in, 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 uh, 
the usual pattern of, of, of finishing second and coming back to, to win the next year, 89-90 is tragically the final uh, league success that Liverpool has known and you're there again and I, I know you weren't as involved as, 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 as you'd like to have been but you do play a big role in the in the run into to clinching that league title in 1990 didn't you? Yeah it's, I mean it's, it's, it's one of those that when you talk about title wins 89-90 sort of people are not quite sure uh, did we win because we were the best team or did we win it because some of the other teams didn't really step up? Was it a too big a ask for Arsenal to, to, to win consecutive titles? They did win it then subsequently in 1991. Mm. I don't know, but we still had some good players. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hilarious to me. Um, and really an indication of how good, um, the players that, that put on the red shirt were in those days and how high the standards the fans had were to, to hear our lads, you know, saying, ah, that was a bit of a shit team. And you're like, hang, yeah, yeah. hang on a minute. <laughs> They're league champions. They're our last league champions. You know what I mean? Um, and it was, it was in that year, Jan, that something happened that I don't, look, I could be wrong, but I know that I didn't know about it and I thought I was a bit of a football nerd. In that year, in, in 1990, uh, you had the opportunity to move to Barcelona. Um, there was a, a, apparently a 1.6 million pound deal arranged and almost uh, agreed upon, or actually agreed upon. Could you tell it us was. a little bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's, it's. I mean, for the people who never heard the story, uh, Johan Cruyff, in the meantime, had become the coach at Barcelona, and uh, I came home from from training one day, and uh, there was a phone number for me to ring a Dutch guy called Tony Brown Slot, and I knew Tony from my time at Ajax. So I rung him up and I said, Tony, what can I do for you? He said, listen, Jan, he said, I'm the assistant manager at Barcelona to Johan Cruyff. Uh, we played last night. Uh, Ronald Koeman ruptured his Achilles. And Cruyff said, Tony, do me a list of 10 players that can replace uh, Koeman. Mm. And he put me on a list. And when Cruyff saw my name, he went, let's go and get you. He said, and that's why I need to speak to you. He said, so would you come to Barcelona? I said, that has absolutely nothing to do with me. Uh, I said, you have to contact the club. If the club is prepared to sell me, of course. I said, I'm not in any way, shape or form going to be pushing for a move to Barcelona because I'm at Liverpool and we're doing great, you know. Mm. So he went, okay, leave it with me. I came in for training the following morning. Who's in the reception? Tony Brown slot. I said, Christ, I said, you're serious. He said, yeah, he said, we want you. So he spoke to Kenny and Kenny said, yeah, for the right money, 1.6 million, you can have him. Which Barcelona then said, yes, we'll do the deal. I then spoke to Cruyff. Uh, Cruyff said, listen, we have a problem. He said, we haven't got any money. He said, but when I go to the board, he said, I'm Johan Cruyff. Uh, they'll give me the money. So I did the contract, four-year contract. Uh, and I played what I thought was going to be my last game ever for Liverpool. Played Luton at Anfield in 1990. Won 4-0. I actually scored a, the first goal of penalty. And at the end of the match, sort of just did a little clap. Got off and uh, sort of took all my belongings with me went to uh, Denmark on a Sunday to play against Yugoslavia on a Wednesday. Got a phone call Monday night from a radio station in Barcelona. Uh, they couldn't speak English, but they were sort of saying, you're not come, you're not come, you're not come. Put the phone down, then Kenny won. Kenny said, the deal's fallen through, and he said, uh, they've offered us four equal t- payments of £400,000. He said, we want the money up front because we need to replace you. He said, so uh, you're not going. And then Cruyff rung and he said, listen, Jan, he said, they haven't given me the money. They told me that I got a promote from the B team. Uh, he said, so I'm really, really sorry. So I went, don't be a sit. It's not as if I'm playing at Brentford and it's my opportunity to go to Barcelona. I said, I'm at Liverpool. Mm. Don't have a problem with it at all. And of course, that following weekend, who made his debut for Barcelona being promoted from the B team? The one and only Pep Guardiola. Yeah. So there you are. Wow, wow. And, and can you honestly say, you look back there, I know you're probably being uh, kind of stiff upper lip about it at the time, but, you know, it, it was, it must be, A, immensely flattering to, to have Johan Cruyff, a man you admired. That was the only. Yeah. That was the only thing. Yeah. Did, am, am I said a man you admired so much, say, yeah, but I, go get Jan. We want Jan. N- not only that, that he remembered me, you know, yeah. but that he thought... I could do a job, you know. Mm. Uh, the four-year contract I had with Barcelona, 
they won the title four times. They won the European Cup of Wembley in 1992, and they won the uh, Spanish Cup twice. So it would have been a quite successful period to be there. Yeah. Uh, but my the only attraction was to play under Johan Cruyff. It had nothing to do with Spanish football. It had nothing to do with Barcelona. It was all about Johan Cruyff. Mm, yeah, of and course. I, and I have to be totally honest, I've never lost a minute's sleep over it. Uh, Michael Lauder, the, the Danish player, he was at Barcelona at the time, and he was probably more excited than me, you know, because we were really good friends. And he said, you know, I can't wait, you know, you come down and, you know, we'll go for the beer together and we'll have a bit of fun and whatever. But it, it was just one of those things. But, of course, it was high-profile Barcelona, Liverpool, Cruyff and whatever. But, uh, so, 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 yeah, that's kind of how that played out. But you, you say it was high profile, but like I say, for a guy who was trying to absorb as much as he could, I, I did not know about this. Now, maybe I was just in a bubble at the time, but he must have been. I've got a whole scrapbook full of it. <laughs> it was so, so there, there, there was a lot going on at the time, right? Yeah, it was. I mean, it was. Oh, okay. It was. It was a massive, massive story. Like the, the transfers are these days. You know what I mean? But yeah, yeah it was. Yeah. A, but it never happened. So instead of going to Barcelona, I ended up spending almost 12 years at Anfield. Yeah. And of course, the consolation, immediate consolation prize is the fact that, you know, that move doesn't work out. But you end up staying, as you say, at, you know, the best club in the land uh, and winning the league at the end of that season, which is which is quite amazing. I want to just take a little sideways step here, Jan, because it'd be a bit dopey of me not to talk to you about, about it. You mentioned Michael Loudrup there. And for a lot of us, before we go back to the, to the, 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 the last part of those 12 years at Anfield that you've just mentioned, a lot of us would have watched, um, European championships in 84 and the World Cup, particularly in 86 and really adopted that side as kind of our own when our, in the absence of our country because, and it was exciting. It was a really exciting team. You mentioned Soren Lerby and you've got like uh, LKR and just incredible players. And what what was what was your feeling in that group? Did you feel like you were very much um, um, part of that group? I think is, was it thirty three caps you ended up with in, in the end with Denmark. Well, actually, uh, the Danish FA had me down for thirty three caps. I played thirty four. There's one loss somewhere. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's not important. Uh, the Danish national team in the 80s was excitement beyond uh, we as a football nation had never done anything. Qualifying for the European Championship in 1984 was the first time ever. Qualifying for the World Cup in 86 was the first time ever. And the excitement was just... But we had players planted in all major clubs in Europe. So 86, when we go to the World Cup, I won the double in England with Liverpool, Solon Lerby. I won the Bundesliga with, with Bayern uh, Munich. Uh, the boys had won in Belgium with Anderlecht. Preben Elke had won the title in, in Italy with Verona. We just had players at all the right clubs and we were a top, top team. But when you've never done anything, people still don't take it serious, do they? No, they don't. No, they, they don't. don't. So 84, we qualify and everybody goes, oh, Denmark is a really good team. This was in the days when there was only eight teams in the European Championship. And people go, Denmark is a really good team, but we're in a group with Belgium, Yugoslavia and France. Uh, we end up finishing second. We're in the semi-final against Spain. We draw 1-1, do some penalties. So semi-final. Two years later, we qualify for the World Cup and people go, Denmark is a really good team, but we are in a group of death. Uruguay, South American champions, West Germany and Scotland. We end up winning all three games, winning the group. But then we, we ran into Spain and lost 5-1. It was always Spain. Why is it always Spain? But, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was for us too at one stage. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but I tell you, the excitement of being past. I mean, I made my debut in 1982. And for five years up to 1987, it was just the greatest feeling in the world. I never got my role in the team, uh, you know, as the sort of playmaker and free kick and penalty. I never quite, when I played, it was more of a defensive number six. And that was never my role. And, he was always after somebody who was really disciplined. So I never quite got my role uh, in the Danish team. Mm. Uh, I would still to this very day argue that the, the, the role was fought between Lerby and me. And a lot of people would think that there was the right decision to, to, to play Lerby. I don't know what I mean, but just to be part of it was absolutely sensational. Especially, I mean, like you say, Ireland made it to the 88 championships and in that eight team format, like it's just immediate excitement because you you're in with a shout if you if you win a couple of games and 
and like we had we have a little bit of experience of that that was our first thing as well but i mean to get to the semi-finals was was incredible but it was the 86 world cup like the maradona world cup that must have been just an incredible buzz to be around even though like you say uh there was that exit at the hands of spain the early stages the group stages and you were there for weeks at that stage you know so it must have been just a tremendous uh sort of experience overall yeah, it's, it starts off, we uh, we have a little bit of a fluky win against Scotland. We beat them 1-0. Uh, but, but, but that, of course, is also important. You get your first win at the World Cup Finals, and then we play Uruguay in the next game, and people go, this is going to be difficult. We beat them 6-1. Then the whole world go, what's going on here? Everybody learned the song, we are red, we are white, we are Danish dynamite, you know? Yeah. We're rocking, we're rocking. Then we've got to play West Germany in the final group game, and everybody goes, lose the game. And you'll get an easier opponent in the next round. And we go, we've never played West Germany in competitive football. We might never get the chance again. It's our neighbouring country. It's our big brother. No way. We're going to beat these. Mm. This might be our only chance ever. We're going to beat them. We beat them 2-0. Germany then goes through to the next days, play Morocco. We play Spain. But that was a risk we ran. That's how we played. We didn't play to win. We played to show the world how good we were and to entertain. And if then in the process we could win, that would be a bonus, but our plan was never to let's be let's be careful, let's feel our way into the matches. We were flat out. We attacked, we attacked, we attacked. We played reckless, but as you say, we we did become the darlings of the world for the short spell. Oh, absolutely! I mean, I the, the, you had an, a, an adopted uh, Dane here for for those weeks watching watching that team. And do you know what else mattered, man? As as a guy who. Uh, is interested in his clobber. They were absolutely fucking great kits, weren't they? They were tremendous oh, kits. Unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, when, when we first saw that kit design and we go, whoa. But it just became iconic, didn't it? Oh, it really did, man. It, it was, you know, it was, it was just so cool. If, if there's one thing I, I you know, we I, had all, we had everything designed like that. All our betting. We all had all our betting that we took with us and uh, used in, in hotel rooms. Obviously, tracksuits, t-shirts. Uh, swim trunks it was all designed in the, in in that uh, same manner it was absolutely fantastic and when we left mexico because all the kit had become so iconic iconic we just gave it away to everybody people came from all over the village where we stayed Caretero, on the last day and we gave away all our kit here yeah, the only thing we took back with us was our boots and passports everything else we gave to the mexicans <laughs> Fantastic. That's brilliant. I love the idea of all that uh, Hummel stuff knocking around still. Hummel, Hummel all over Mexico. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> uh, well, I suppose to, 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 to move back towards Liverpool then and, and, and the, the spell from, from where we finished off there in 1992 to your, your, the, the end of your, of your time there in 95. That was again, I suppose it's, it's, it's a really kind of a, a seminal time in, in Liverpool's uh, recent history because, like I said earlier, nobody could have conceived. I'm sure you'd never have thought that, uh, as you went up, uh, to do your turn lifting the trophy with, uh, Kenny and the lads in 1990, that that wouldn't happen again for whatever it is now, 27 years and counting. You know what I mean? Um, it, 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 it's, 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 it's kind of stunning really when you even say those words out loud. But the years that followed, there was such a fall off, wasn't there, Jan? Or was that, was that obvious to you guys? Cause I know there was, no, no, no. Uh, there's obviously a cup, there, there's a, a real close run for the, for, for the title in 91 and then Kenny disappears. But from Kenny's disappearance and, and then the Sunez years and then Roy Evans, did you guys always have a feeling, look, we'll get back at it. It's, it's only a matter of yeah. time. You did. Because first and foremost, we still had players of the caliber of Grobelar, uh, of, of Ronnie Whelan, Steve Nichol, John Barnes, Peter Beardsley, Ian Russ, Gary Gillespie. Uh, I was there. I mean, we still had a lot of great players. Of course. We probably, we probably couldn't have played them all together, but with the right blend of young players and new players. And the one thing that stood out, the strength of Liverpool was their ability to pick players. So we thought, well, okay, what we need to do here is a, is a minor rebuilding job which means new players. But the one thing that they do well at Liverpool is buy players. You know, throughout the 60s, 70s and 80s, very, very rarely did they make mistakes. Always bought the right players, players that fit into the system. So if that's all it is, we trust them. They'll find the players and we go again. Yeah. Uh, but of course, we came slightly off the beaten track. Uh, we tried with a different type of players. And I think it's fair to say that the wheels probably came off. 
Yeah, yeah. And, and, and like I say, it was quite the falling off for us watching on. Um, but like, like you say, you're still in the dressing room with these superstars of the game. Genuinely great, great names that, you know, you listed them there and it's kind of gets their hairs in the back of your neck stand up. Just listen to that list. You, you, no matter what, you must have always had belief that, you know, okay, next season we'll, we'll, we'll get back there. Like you say, the right recruits and we'll be back on it. I, uh, I played my last game in, in March 1995, but I never left, never left Liverpool to February 1996. And the only time before a season I didn't think we were going to win the league was 95-96. All previous years, from 90 to 95, 1991, 91-92, I thought we were going to win the league. And it wasn't until we got to 95-96 I realised, OK, we got a problem here. We've yeah. fallen behind. Uh, the successful group of players had, had gone, Grobola and Nicol Whelan had gone. Uh, it was a rebuilding job, but it wasn't going well. Mm. But it took up to 1995 before I realised, OK, this ain't happening. Because I rem- the reason I remember is that the chairman asked me. He said, we've invested in some players here, Stan Collymore and whatever. He said, we're going to win the league. And I went, you're not going to win the league with this team. And that's the only reason I remember that it was 95, 96. And that was the first time I thought, this is not going to plan and we won't win in the in the immediate future. Mm. We're not going to win the league. Yeah, even that, even even you saying that, a man who's been around such success and imbued in that Liverpool way of thinking, for you to say that you thought, right, we're not going to win it, that shows that, that there had been a real shift. And sadly, it's... It was also the emergence of a very, very strong Manchester United team, true. Which, you yeah. could, which you could only you could only liken that to Liverpool in the 70s and 80s, isn't it? Because yeah. Liverpool's opponents in the 70s and 80s would have looked before the season had gone, we've got a good team, but we're up against Liverpool, so the best we can hope for is second. And the same thing sort of happened with United in the 90s, isn't it? You go, to win this, you have to be exceptional because they're very, very good. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess you're right. Yeah, and, 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 and these things can happen. But I suppose what, what I'm curious about is you talked earlier on about the, the boot room philosophy of, of appointing from within and how successful it had been. And Kenny really, in many ways, um, uh, continued that, uh, you know, uh, and took it to a new level almost. But then instead of going for, um, the man who becomes a manager, uh, one, one after, they go, back to another old boy, but not from within the boot room. They go to, to Graham Sunez. What what was the Sunez era like for yourself there at Anfield? Well, first and foremost, we were incredibly excited when Graham was appointed as the manager uh, because there were still a number of players in the dressing room who played with him. And the un- mass- massive stories about, you know, what a great player he was and what a massive influence he was. So we were all looking forward to it. But I think what everybody overlooked was the fact that he'd been away for seven years. He'd yeah. been in Italy, he'd then been up to Scotland as a player manager, he'd picked up a lot of new ideas, various. And the difference between him and Kenny was that when Kenny became the manager, he couldn't take on board enough advice of people who were around. Chief Executive Peter Robinson, Chairman Sir John Smith, uh, retired manager Bob Paisley, yeah. Ronnie Moran, Roy Evans. He couldn't get enough information of everybody. Mm. Soon as was different. Soon as kind of almost rode into town and go, this is my show. I'm going to do it my way. Uh, and he decided on a different type of player. Neil Rudder, Julian Dix, Paul Stewart, players that you probably in the 60s, 70s, and 80s wouldn't have thought that they were Liverpool players, but that's what he chose. He wanted some, because he was a very physical player himself and he wanted some physical players. And that was probably the only thing you didn't need at the start of the 90s because the game was changing, wasn't it? Yeah. The game was becoming more technical. It was becoming faster. The pitches were better. The balls were better. So you probably didn't need physical players. Uh, so in terms of that, we got our recruitment wrong. But the, the period, I like Sooners. Sooners is a man. He's a man's man. You know, he, he fronts up to things uh, and he goes, this is the way I want to do things. And then you go, okay, fair enough. We all have a way we believe is the right way. And he very much believed in his own way. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the end... It certainly didn't work out. Yeah, I suppose to be fair to him as well, he had probably had his ideas that he was correct about his his philosophy confirmed by the very successful spell as player manager at Rangers, where you know he's going around like a mad bastard on the pitch, but also doing really well and winning stuff. Um, so you know that probably that probably reinforced his concept that yeah, I know what I'm at, and you know he was wait he was waiting for this opportunity, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know to prove on the biggest stage. There's a, there's a slight rebuilding job to be done. I am your man. 
Yeah. And he couldn't wait to get to work. But I'm sure if you get him in private, he'll admit that he got a lot of things wrong. Having said that, I, as I said before, I still like Sooners. I think he's a, he's a real man's man. He, but he made he made some he made some mistakes, and he made some mistakes that some Liverpool players will never, sorry, Liverpool fans will never ever forgive him for. Yeah, you, and you, you you know you mentioned that um, you know you, you like him as a fella, and I have to say you know especially I think actually interestingly since he got out of the management game, he's more and more on the TV as a pundit, and that really comes across that just straightness, that directness that he has about him as a fella. Um, that's that's quite, what I like. That is admirable. He, you know, he talks he talks a language that I think most fans understand. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, and he he has a bit of old fashioned sort of. Pride in him, isn't he? Yeah, you know, he he often talks about pride or lack of pride, isn't it? And I think fans associate with that. Yeah, I, the 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 thing I kind of glossed over there, just to touch on it briefly, was before, of course, uh, Graham came in. Uh, there was that departure, um, sort of towards the end of the ninety ninety one season of of Kenny from the dressing room, and you guys said you were all excited about Graham coming in and. And, and fantastic and rightly so and you can understand why because it fellow was such a tradition of the club and uh, recent success and all the rest of it and a strong character but what was that was Kenny's departure as impactful for you as players or did you just kind of get on with the job it's I mean dressing rooms are ruthless places yeah. uh, there's no room for sentiment it's all about the next day it's all about the next game so of course Kenny uh, resigning had an impact, but professional footballers, professional athletes don't mope around for days or, or weeks. You simply can't because the challenge is ready to be met. Uh, it, that day we were told on a Friday, well, we had a game on a Saturday. Okay, we did, certainly didn't get the game on a Saturday, uh, right? Because we lost 4 1 down at Luton. Uh, so, yes, it had an impact. Uh, but I think the team, team was ready to split anyway. Uh, that doesn't mean you have to sell everybody, but the team was ready to split. I'm not sure if Kenny would have stayed, that we'd have won the title in 1991. Uh, but of course it has an impact, absolutely. But don't for one minute think that some players sat in the corner and cried for weeks. You get on with it. We have massive respect for Kenny as a player, as a manager and as a human being. But these things happen, don't they? Players come, players go. The club always... Uh, and also, as, as players, it's a funny thing, isn't it? Because you kind of go, okay, Kenny is no longer here, but I'm here, you know? Yes. And that's how yeah. we sometimes think. Yeah, that's how we sometimes think, isn't it? It's how you, okay, you have to Kenny's think. It's how you have to yeah, think. But I, I'm here, aren't I? I yeah. can play. Yeah. We'll yeah. be okay. You yeah. know, so, so that's kind of that's sort of how it worked, you know? Of course, it was a sad, sad day. But I suppose you have the fallout from that and the season pans out and, you know, it's not, it doesn't end up being a successful season. It's another one of those almost seasons. Um, but then, you know, Graham comes in. That doesn't, as you say, pan out necessarily. The recruitment probably wasn't what most fans would have liked either. We got Roy, Roy Evans then for a spell, um, in your last days there. And, Again, that sort of it gives the feeling of going back to the old ways of of promoting from within. But Roy always kind of came across as a wonderfully intelligent football man, but probably someone who was doing it because he loved the club so much, as opposed to a burning ambition to be Liverpool manager. Would that be fair? Or have I got that wrong? No, I think you got that wrong. But let me just deal with what you said before. 1990-91 became an almost nearly season. Yeah. Yeah. So was eighty four, eighty five. Yeah. What happened in 85, 86? We win a double. 86, 87 is another nearly season. Exactly. 87, 88, 88, we, we produce uh, probably the finest team Liverpool's ever had. So, so that was the thinking we went into the new season with. Yeah. We've had a, a nearly season 1991. Now we do what we do. We bounce back. That's it. Yeah. You know, we bounce back bigger and stronger and better than ever. Of course, we didn't. Eventually, uh, Graham was removed from his position. Roy was given the job. Roy had a real battle on his hands in that football generally was changing. Uh, training methods, uh, the way that the players looked after themselves, diets, all these things were changing. But Roy wanted to revert to the old Liverpool ways, you know, the way that we used to do it, the same sort of training methods in, as in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Hmm. Uh, the players be, being given a certain amount of freedom to express themselves on and off the field. Uh, when what was probably needed was a bit more discipline. Uh, but I do, however, feel that Roy being given the job was the right decision. 
But I also feel that when Gerard Hooley was brought in to replace him, that that was also the right decision. Uh, because Gerard was much more in touch with what was happening right now. Yes. And, yeah. and, I, and I think that was what was needed. Roy did a wonderful job. You know, I'm still a very good friend and club friend of Roy's. I have a lot of time with him and he did a wonderful, wonderful job. Uh, he was just the right man at the time. He just couldn't quite do it. And I know that it really hurt Roy, uh, the situation with Jared Hulia uh, and everything that went on. Uh, his love for Liverpool should never be underestimated because he was the one who went to the board and said, listen, this is not working, so I will walk. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I, but I felt that Jared Hulia and what he brought was the right decision. Yeah, as you say, for, for, for the times and moving along with the times or whatever. But like, see, that, that's exactly it. And you touch on it there. Nobody, like, I mean, it was pouring out of his pores, the, 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 the affection that he had for the club and the tradition of the club and everything, Roy. And to be honest, there was a season there where the league should have been won. Like there was, it was probably, it was an outlandishly talented group that he had. Probably was it, was it uh, actually ironically, was it the season that you said they probably wouldn't win it when? Don't you think that that team wasn't about winning? They, they very much remind me of Denmark in the eighties. Yeah. Oh yeah. They I know were, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. They, they were entertainers. Yes. Yeah. But yeah. they might not necessarily have been winners. Yeah, you know they enjoyed the moment, but the moment you put put them up against the wall and go, we need to win the next five games to win the league and whatever. That was the moment where almost they stopped enjoying playing football. Mm. Mm. They enjoyed the carefree uh, attitude towards playing and and winning wasn't necessarily what it was about. But because they were so talented, they ended up winning anyway. But in the end, they didn't, did they? Yeah, because they they couldn't quite win the big prize. Yeah, so I like sometimes I sometimes compare them to Denmark of the eighties. Wonderful team to watch, you know, Fowler and Collymore and all of them. I said, you know, it was wonderful to watch, but I'm just not sure that team was put together to win. Uh, their biggest opportunity was probably the, the cup final in 1996 uh, at Manchester United. Uh, you know, and again. It was just a horrible afternoon, wasn't it? Yeah, Stars, yeah. Whether it was, whether it was the white suits or, but the performance wasn't. It was just, I don't know. I just think it summed up that team. It did sum up that team and that era, yeah. and it was, it was, it was again that idea of the nearly without the the thing that you guys used to have, which was okay. It was nearly this year, and next year we just go and we fucking win, and that's it. Yeah, and exactly. It, you know, it didn't happen. Um, they probably didn't just didn't have that, did they? They probably you know, just didn't. Have... At where, where was your Ronnie Whelan or your Alan Hansen or you know those boys who go, come on. You know, yeah, yeah. Put course. a bit of a snarl on their face and you go, okay, we're going to do it. You know, entertainment is not always enough. We need to win as well, isn't it? It's a bit like Spurs, the problem they're having now, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Everybody goes on about a great team. Yeah, go on then. Put one in the cupboard. Yeah, actually win a pass. That's not easy, yeah. is it? And that's, yeah, that's, 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 that's where it gets yeah. tough. Absolutely. We, 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 we need to sort of start me- making a move towards an end here because I'm monopolizing your morning on you and you've been very, very, very uh, generous with your time. You, you, you leave Liverpool, um, in 95 and like I said, we touched on it early on. You make, you take that opportunity that, that arises to go to Vegfield and be Swansea player manager. 32 at the time, probably. We, I think you were the youngest in the, in the football league. I was league. indeed, yeah. I was um, the youngest manager in the football league. So I you, have to be honest, on a Thursday morning, I rolled into my office at the Vegfield. I had no idea what to do. Yeah, how would you? I suppose. I mean, it's, I had no it's, idea. Yeah, sat yeah. in there at nine o'clock, and then uh, one of the apprentices comes with a cup of coffee, and, and they go, "This is how all managers do." So you start with a cup of coffee, and then the phone starts ringing and whatever, and you're quickly into it. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, you were kind of seeing out a, a job that was already broken there at the start, and then you got your chance to to to, to rebuild and. And almost like almost in your first go, uh, your 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 playoff final, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we, we got relegated uh, into the fourth division and then everybody goes, well, you know, Swansea are, are favourites to, 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 to win that league. And I, I never thought that was the case because we, we didn't have a particularly good ga- uh, team. Uh, we, we needed to do some work and I introduced a lot of young players who'd been at the club for a while but was was never playing in the first team. Uh, and we just put together a young, exciting team. Uh, we finished fifth in the league, which I think was about right. Uh, we then won the playoff semi-finals against Chester, which gave me great pleasure because Kevin Radcliffe was the manager of Chester. <laughs> Lovely, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then we were into Northampton and Wembley in a dreadful, dreadful game that we lost one now. Yeah. But yeah, it was very close. And I enjoyed it. I enjoyed every minute of it. I, I, as I said before, I had a group of young players who really wanted to 
to improve. I said to them at the start of the season, this is your chance. You know, I said, you, you, we release you from here. There's not going to be a queue to take you. I said, so this is your best and only chance. Yeah. But you do as I tell you, we might have a chance. Not that I know at all, but I'm going to give you an opportunity. And in, in hindsight, we, we ended up selling half that team in the summer of, of, of 97, which of course was a mistake, but it's exactly what I promised those young players. I said, you do as I tell you and you've given a chance. You can go on in the game. And as I said before, we ended up selling them, you know, places like Oxford and Birmingham and Bristol City and whatever. But I, I, I think that was the right thing to do. And for some reason, it comes to an end there. I, I, in, in it, something I can't understand why, why it happened that this, you end up sort of parting ways with them after doing so well. The, you, you go on to have really impressive success at Kidderminster. Uh, you, you bring in uh, your own mucker, Mike Marshall, alongside you. For the people, who, for the people who don't know, Kidderminster were in the football league at the time, which yeah. was non. They were obviously non-league. They were part-time. They trained every Monday and Thursday. And when they approached me, I said, "Listen, no disrespect." I said, "But I don't want to be." a manager in the part-time football. Yeah. There's 14 full-time teams in that league and then there's eight who are not. I said, we haven't got a hope of that. The others train every day. Mm. I said, but I met the chairman and I'm a sucker sometimes and he explained to me in a, in a really, and I thought, you know what? Most chairmen say to you, I don't know anything about football, but, and the but is the one you've got to worry about, isn't it? Because during the season, they won't leave you alone. This chairman went, <laughs> I don't know it. This chairman of Kidderminster went, I don't know anything about football. Yeah. And he was true to his word. He never, ever bothered me. Yeah. He just let me get on with the job. So I put a team together and I thought, what we're going to do here, we're going to, the, the conference at the time was a big, strong physical league. And I went, we're going to run this league. We're going to have mobile players. We're going to play with a high defensive line. Uh, we're just going to try and run it. So I got to a state in October where everybody's going, oh, we're a good team, Jan. And I'm thinking, oh, I know exactly what we need. We need a, Jan, a young Jan Mulvey. We need somebody in the field <laughs> who can put it all together. Yeah. Uh, and I was thinking, I was 36 years of age, and I'm thinking, oh, can I lose two stone? Can I get myself fit? Uh, and then Mike Mars popped up. And I signed Mike Mars, and everybody goes, I said, don't worry. I said, what he does, I said, you won't be able to see. I said, but don't worry about it. I said, because he'll make us. And we signed Mike Mars and the rest is history. I think we went 23 games unbeaten, won the league by nine points. Uh, but he was exactly what I needed just to put it all together. Well, that must have been a, 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 a tremendous buzz after, after, uh, you know, the, the near, the near miss with the, with the previous club. But you go on, you have a, you have a stint, uh, at Hull and, and, and back to Kidderminster for, uh, Bruce I don't like to make, ex- I don't like to make excuses. Football management is what it is. Yeah. And you know the risk that you run. But I have to say that Hull was almost laughable. Uh, they brought me in. The first thing the chairman goes, he said, we need to get promotion. Mm. I said, well, that's not how football works. You know, we need, I said, everybody needs to win. Yeah. I said, but you can't win till you're ready. Yeah. I've got 34 pros at home. So I have the last four games at the end of the season. And then the chairman goes, go on, tell me. I said, of the 34 is here now, I said, I'll guarantee you when you get promoted, not one of them will be here. He went, pardon I said, I'm telling you. I said, the ones who've got ability haven't got the heart. The ones who've got the heart haven't got the ability. I said, so you got a real big problem here. So I managed to get rid of 17 players, replaced them with seven players, and then I got sacked. I got sacked because of lack of results. Again, I don't have a problem with that. Yeah. But by the time they got promoted, Peter Taylor was the manager and they got promoted. Uh, of the 34 players I inherited, 32 had gone. There was only two left. Uh, wow. So, yeah, I'm so... Um, I kind of look back and I go, I was spot on. Yeah. But of course, in in these things, the one thing you need is the one thing you're not going to be given. It's not mm-hmm. money, it's time. Yeah. yeah it, it, it's interesting you, you say that. Like, I, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a teacher for a living and you get people coming in, parents saying, you know, he needs an A. And you're like, well, that's great. Is he going to do the work? You know, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's this kind of irrational expectation that, look, we've thrown a bit of money at the wall here. You're the solution. I don't know. It, 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 was there something about that? Um, and maybe the final spell of Kidderminster that kind of soured you on management. You, you're a young man. Yeah. You know, you're only, you know, there's only a couple of years between this. Are you, are, did that kind of just say finish you, you, you? In the end. Yeah. In the end, it just didn't make any sense. I, I, the, the, of course, there's no bulletproof way of being a success in football management. Uh, but it just 
none of it ever made any sense. Mm. Uh, when I was a kid at Minster, I had two spells in the Football League. Uh, we had the lowest budgets, uh, and that should never be an excuse. But that means that it takes longer than at other clubs. So I want certain amount of players. And I quite like the players that nobody else wants. I quite like the, the small, technical, really good players that nobody else wants because they go, he will never, ever survive at that level. The game is too physical. You know, I, I sometimes like the sort of little bit of a headless chicken that can run because I'll put him with somebody who can think for him. So I like the players that nobody else likes and mm. takes. Mm. But it but it, it takes time to put it all together, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, and that's the one thing they'll never give you. They go, oh, he's not very good. I said, I know he's not very good, but I'm telling you now, in 18 months' time, I took a goalkeeper uh, from Shrewsbury on £80 a week and for two years he was hopeless. But I kept working with him and eventually, bang, next thing he's in he's in the team and we get an offer for £400,000 from Cardiff for the goalkeeper. Chairman refused to sell him. But if you, if the players is, is prepared to work and you've seen something in them, I, I do believe there's a chance. Yeah, yeah. But it, yes, he did, Trev. It soured my... Uh, it just made no difference. Uh, no, no, no sense. It made no sense in the end. Yeah, uh, I had other things that I could do, which I guess is is is, is sometimes the benefits you have of having been oh, a, a player in the top divisions. People know who you are. There's other things you can do. I fully understand that there's football managers who need to work, and they'll be in the lower leagues for twenty five or thirty years. It's not what I wanted. It soured my experience. Although I have to say, working with players on the training ground, it's one hundred percent what I enjoy. Yeah. I was a coach, not a manager. I loved it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, Jan, I feel like we, we've only really scratched the surface here. And, and I, you know, I, I do have to ask you, it would be completely remiss of me before I let you go. Um, people would riot if I didn't ask you what you f- think about Liverpool's prospects for the coming year and how you see, uh, this current side that Jurgen Klopp's putting together faring in the, in the Premier League in the, in the season to come. Well, Jurgen Klopp is a team builder, isn't he? And, and the one thing that might beat him is time. Uh, you, you, he, he, he believed that the squad from last year, without any additions, I know we've made some signings, but even without any additions, that that squad will improve. And that squad will improve because some of the younger players will get better. All the other players would have worked on the club for, for nearly two seasons and they'll understand these ideas better. And I like that. The solution is not always to buy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do understand sometimes to take significant steps, you do need to buy. And I think we are, we are one blockbuster away, uh, whether that's a Van Dyke uh, or whatever. I think we're one blockbuster away from just taking us to that next level. What, what we're looking for is almost that guarantee of being in the top four, isn't it? Yeah. If you say to me now, we have a top six. I think everybody recognises we have a top six. Who will guarantee be in the top four? I'd say Manchester City. And I'd probably say Chelsea, yeah? Yeah. We're looking for that same guarantee, aren't we? Okay. Our aim is to win the title, but worst case scenario, we're in the top four. So that's going back to, when was that sort of, between 2004 and 2009, we were in the Champions League every year, weren't we? Yeah. We're kind of looking for that again. And I think we need a blockbuster of a signing to, 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 to give ourselves that guarantee. Because as it stands now, yes, we could surprise, but we could also disappoint. And we could end up fifth or sixth. We, we, we got the Champions League, or hopefully we got the Champions League. So, But I'm looking forward to it because I'm looking, I think, there's going to be games in it where we're going to cause riots, you know, because of the ability that we have, the fast players and things that we can't deal with. So I don't think we're in a bad situation, as many people think. Yeah. We've got a good manager. We've got a manager who's patient, who knows what he's doing. Coutinho, yeah, of course Coutinho is a problem. But players have come and gone before, haven't they? Well, absolutely. You know, absolutely. The first one, if you, if you, for, the, for the younger listeners, last 15 years, if you'd have said to Liverpool fans in 08, 09, well, one day we're going to be without Carragher and, and Gerrard and Torres, people would have gone, What's going to happen? We're going to get relegated. Yeah, yeah. It's not how it happens, is it? No, no, absolutely. You know, Torres left, Torres left, and Carragher retired, and Gerard retired, and Suarez came and went. 
football will always go on. And spe- yeah, so. spe- speaking of that, Jan, like looking, at, there's a really, I saw a class photo there recently. I don't know, it's taken somewhere in the city of yourself and, and, and Xabi Alonso having a wee chat. And I was just thinking, Christ alive, what, what a, what a combination of, of, uh, I sign him. Fo- yeah. He's yeah. He's, he's 35 years of age and he retired. Yeah. I understand why he's retired. Yeah. I also understand why Philip Lahm at 33 is retired. Yeah. Uh, but I would take Xabi Alonso even at 35 because he does things. Not things that every football fan can see, but he does things that benefits his team. Yeah. And if we could have a player like him feeding, feeding our Salah and Mane and Coutinho, you know, quicker than you can blink, that would be wonderful. But the boys decided to retire, uh, retire, so we're not going to get him. Not going to get him. Look, we we need to wrap things up. I want to thank you very much, Jan. An absolute class act as a, as a, as a player and as a man. Appreciate your time immensely and your generosity uh, in this interview. It's been fantastic. So thank you very much for this. As I keep saying, Trevor, it's all my pleasure, and I hope the listeners will enjoy it. They absolutely will. Thanks a lot, Jan. I'm Trev Denny. I'll be back soon with another episode of the interview. Podcast Network.